all the way through until the weekend I got. So I'm so glad I called because I was thinking, oh, we'll call and get, you know, pick of the litter. He's like, nope, it's slammed. So uh, we were lucky to get the one that we had. And now we're on the books for next year. So save the day. Super fun. But hey, um, open up your Bibles to John chapter 14. We're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, So excited about today. I was um, really taken back when I learned which songs that we sang this morning. Um, Crystal does a great job of really praying through those and picking those, and they could not have been more fitting for where we're headed in this message. Um, The title of my message is Victory Through Adversity. Victory Through Adversity. No matter what's going on in our world, in your life, in your family, that God has called us to walk in a certain way and invited us to walk in a certain way. And, and, and if you read John 14 by itself, I don't know that you would necessarily see the context of what Jesus is saying and doing, but we know that there's a lot going on in the book of John in these chapters. And so I'm going to highlight just really quickly for you because um, we started with Lazarus in Bethany, a couple of miles away from Jerusalem. Jesus is literally on his way to Jerusalem in the last um, you know, few weeks of his life. He raises Lazarus from the dead. What we learned is that from there, not only does Mary you know, pour costly oil all over his feet in, 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 in anointing him from burial, but everyone, the place was packed because everyone was trying to figure out, is this, this Lazarus thing really true? And then they went literally from there to the, the um, triumphal entry on the Mount of Olives, and it says that many who came to gather to welcome Jesus and have the palm branches were the people that were so excited because they saw what Jesus did for Lazarus. And so so they saw, surely he is the king. He has come to take over. That's what everyone believed. He's coming into Jerusalem to take over to end the oppression. Because as you know, the Roman Empire was very oppressive. It was a very, very corrupt world that they lived in. And Jesus is in the middle of that. And the disciples and anyone who was following, you know, even from a distance, what was going on, they all hoped and believed that Jesus had come to end the suffering. Jesus had come to take over. So Jesus comes down the Mount of Olives, triumphal entry, in gate beautiful. He goes into the temple, turns over the tables goes up to the upper room, has the last supper, serves them, washes their feet. We talked about that last week, John chapter 13. And now here we are in this same room, the same room that the Holy Spirit fell in Acts chapter one, this upper room. And it, I mean, it's like 364 feet from the the, the, um, Garden of Gethsemane. The reason for that is because Passover, after Passover in a Jewish tradition, you're only allowed to walk... You have to realize that the Jewish traditions were extremely strict. And so you were only allowed to walk a certain amount of feet after the Passover. And so, because it was on Sabbath. And on Sabbath, I mean, like we went there and I mean, you go into an elevator and literally on Sabbath, they have a person there and they're pushing the elevator button for you because if you do it, it's work. And no work's allowed to be done on the Sabbath. And so they're in the upper room. And the reason why they're in the upper room is because it's literally... However many feet you're allowed to walk, that's however many 
feet, it is from the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus landed to the upper room. It's exact, if you pace it, it's exactly the amount of distance that Jesus was legally allowed to walk. He came to fulfill the, the law and not abolish it. And so he walked from, the gar- from the, that room. We'll see it later on in, in uh, John chapter 18. He walked from there to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was the exact number of steps legally allowed to walk. So here they are in this upper room, and we see this in the upper room. They're in there for this long, I mean, it's a very long conversation, and it is rich. And it's John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. All that's crammed into this beautiful conversation with he and his disciples, and only he knows that it's Thursday, and I'm getting crucified on Friday. So you talk about last moments. The disciples had no idea but Jesus did. So you imagine the heaviness of this moment. And Jesus starts off John chapter 14. This is the beginning of this long dialogue. He just washed their feet and, and he starts in John, John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. As I said, I want to talk to you about victory through adversity. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the words that you want to speak and the words that you did speak 2,000 years ago in that room with these disciples. And they had no idea what was happening and they had a very different picture of what they wanted to see happen. And yet you were leading them as you're leading us. And so God, I pray that you open up our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. So the the disciples hit an all-time low at the end of John chapter 13 because Jesus went from um, washing their feet, saying, you're clean, now I'm cleaning all of you. It's my delight to clean you. And, um, you know, and then he begins, Jesus begins to shift this conversation at the end of John chapter 13. Um, and it's not exactly the pivot that you would think, as I've described, this is the last few moments. And so, you know, what's happened up to this point is Jesus has been demonstrating, I am on the throne. He raised Lazarus from the dead, triumphal entry, clears the temple, redefines Passover, and then washes their feet, clearly setting them up for something big. And in his final moments, you would have expected sort of like a pep talk. You would have expected him to say like, you are my finest work. I've spent three years with you. I've given you everything I got. I, I was reminded when I was going through this of like moments in, in, like this. And um, so uh, as you well know, um, back before COVID, we used to play soccer and I used to coach soccer. And, you know, some of your kids, I was on my soccer team. And we won the championship one time. Like literally eight or nine seasons. And we won the championship one Time. And I remember specifically at halftime, I can't remember what the score was, but it was a close game. They were a really good team. And I remember at halftime, I got them all in the middle of the field. And I didn't always do this, but this game, again, it's like the, literally the only time we were even close to winning the championship. And I got my kids, you know, my son's on the team. And then, you know, Ochoa's were on the team and Shane and Ella. I literally like kneel down and I've got, you know, these little kids, you know, at the, at the time, they're fifth and sixth grade. 
And I mean, like, I was pouring my heart out. I'm like, I think I wanted it way more than they did. I'm like, you guys. <laughs> I didn't give them, like, do your best thing. I was like, you guys, we're going to win this. <laughs> you guys are my best work. You have absolutely getting yourself, gotten yourself to this point, and we can do this. And I was envisioning, like, Jesus there. He's with his 12 disciples, and he knows he's getting ready to leave, and they have to take this movement throughout the whole world. Like, that's the plan. And Jesus knows this. The disciples don't know it, but he knows it. And so you would have expected him to do this, the epic pep talk. Unfortunately, that's not what happens. At the end of John chapter 13, Jesus basically says, I'm leaving. And at that point, because though they've heard this a ton, they only hear what they want to hear. And so they, it's like they heard it for the first time. I'm leaving you can't come with me and you're going to all fail me. Because you have to realize that when, they t when, he, when Jesus told Peter, you're going to fail me, he literally said, you will all scatter, all of you. So he's looking at his disciples and this pep talk is, you're going to fail. And Peter, it's going to be really bad for you. Go get them. <laughs> and, um, and, and, oh, by the way, you're going to face trouble in this life. It's going to be hard. That's how I would just imagine them like, wow, Jesus, you're really horrible at the pep talk thing. Like, this is not encouraging. Pull up, you know, it's like dive bomb. Um. So I want to set the stage on, on, because Jesus knew where the disciples were at. He knew what was going on in their heart. He knew the anticipation and the expectations that they had that would not be met. He knew what it would take for them to carry this mission on. And, and I want to set that stage a little bit. Before I, I do, I want to ask a question. Um, have you ever heard what you want to hear? <laughs> like, has anybody ever tried to tell you something? And like, no matter how much they try, it's just like, pew! just like over the head, around, just does not get in, like your spouse trying to tell you something. And, and then lo and behold, somebody else comes along and like says it one time and then like a light bulb comes on. Oh my gosh, like you've heard it for the first time. <laughs> and your spouse is like, really? You just now hearing that? Unbelievable. Um, I remember like for Heather and I, Heather is the best shopper. She's a bargain shopper. She can find the most incredible deals. And when we first got married, I was the worst shopper. I was the epitome of, of impulse buy. When I saw something I really liked, something triggered in my mind and it said, if I don't buy it now, I will never get it. it this is not found anywhere else. This is the most rarest commodity. I have to have it. And there's no way I'm going to find a better deal. And so she, she used to tell me all the time, babe, it's going to be cheaper somewhere else, cheaper somewhere else. So we're in Colorado like five years ago, and I found these shoes. Now, granted, the worst place to find a really cool pair of like running slash jogging, you know, trail running shoes is like a boutique store in Colorado because it's going to be a premium, right? So I found these shoes. I was convinced this is the only store in America that sells these shoes, right? It was like a pair of Brooks or something. And admittedly, they were really cool. 
So I tried them on. I must have walked like for 30 minutes around the store. And she's like, you're not getting those shoes. They were like $170. And I'm like, babe, you don't understand how comfortable these are. We'll never find these again. So she's like, listen, you can get them. But I'm just telling you, (laughs) we can get them cheaper. So I was so discouraged, deflated. Gosh, you don't support me. So we, and we're on like this marriage retreat, right? We were, we were in Colorado for a marriage retreat. So I'm like, gosh, I just wish you'd support me just one time, you know, this whole rant, which is absolutely not true. But nevertheless, I was in that moment, you know. So we walk back to our, play, our, little, our little room that we were staying in and we get on the couch. I'm just bummed. She gets on her phone and in five minutes, she finds, like on Amazon or online or something, literally the exact pair of shoes for $80, like $100 less. And she's like, yeah, and you, you can have them at our house by the time you get home. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say. This is so dumb. But we oftentimes hear what we want to hear. And, and the disciples were sort of on this track for pretty much the whole time there with Jesus because they only saw what they wanted to see. They heard what they wanted to hear. And as an example of like where their state of mind was, I want to read you Mark chapter 10. And so we're going to start in verse 32. And it'll be up on the screen. And it says, Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen. That's very important. He began to tell them the things blatantly. That will happen. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. Pause. So where this is taking place is they're literally on their way to the Mount of Olives for the triumphal entry. So this is days before they find themselves in the upper room. We're on our way up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, he begins to explain what's going to happen. The Son of Man, that's me, will be betrayed to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him I love how he talks about himself in the third person to to disguise it. Condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him. They will scourge him. They will spit on him and they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. I mean, you can't spell it out any clearer. Even to the point where it's like the details, they're going to spit on me. And then three days later, count them, three. How many? How many fingers do I have? Three days. Well, I can count three days. Three days later, I'm going to rise. Carry on. The very next verse. This is how much the disciples, like us, hear what we want to hear, see what we want to see. And a lot of times, the good stuff, the important stuff, just right over our head. Then James and John, after hearing this, sons of Zebedee came to him and said, Teacher, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. 37, grant us that we would sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. This isn't your kingdom in heaven. This is you're going to Jerusalem to set up your kingdom, which he will do one day, but not yet. The kingdom is now and not yet. So he's on his way to Jerusalem and they're thinking he's setting up his kingdom. So everything he just said, Right over his head. He just said to them, they're going to kill me. Right over the head. And they skipped to, I know, I know, I know. But Jesus, when we get to Jerusalem and you get the highest place, you know, and you take over, can we sit on both sides and like kind of be your advisors? (laughs) So ridiculous. 
Jesus had been, been preparing them, but all they could hear is Jesus has come to take over. Have you seen how much power he has? Nothing can stand in his way. Hashtag best life ever. Hashtag sucks to be the Romans, the Pharisees, or anyone else we want Jesus to clobber. This was their mindset. Jesus, life plus Jesus equals winning. This was their mentality. Which, at its face, sounds biblical, sounds awesome. Obviously, Jesus is the guy. And so this is it. Like, Jesus plus life equals winning. As long as we're with Jesus, wherever he goes, whatever he does, I want to be as close as I can to him because that means we win. And this is what they interpreted from the three years they spent with Jesus is wherever he goes, we win. And Jesus, he entered into this conversation, the the most important conversation he could ever have with the people that he's leaving this with. And he knew that this is a house of cards. You take out the shepherd and the sheep scatter, which was about to happen. He knew that everything that they had received had one small yet magnificent, gigantic flaw. And that was they attributed Jesus being present for them to win. They saw Christianity as a victory that replaces adversity. A victory that replaces adversity. With Jesus, there is no more adversity. You, you see this when, remember in Matthew chapter 16, when, when uh, Jesus rebukes Peter, says, get behind me. Well, why did he rebuke him? Because Jesus was talking about suffering. And he says, I will suffer. And Peter, it says, Peter rebuked Jesus. Jesus, that will never happen to you. Why? Because life plus Jesus equals winning. We win when we have Jesus. There will be no more suffering. Jesus is coming to take over. And so Peter said, no way, not on my watch. You will never suffer, Jesus. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That's not the kingdom of God. And that's not what I've come to establish. See, he, he was leading them this whole time and, and they had a hard time because in, in their version of what a successful life would be, it didn't include suffering. It didn't include hardship. Jesus was preparing them for a victory that stands in the midst of adversity, not replaces it. A victory that stands in the midst of it. Think about how many storms Jesus was in with the disciples. Like read all of the gospels. They all have accounts. There's multiple on the Sea of Galilee. And most of them, it says Jesus invited them like, hey, let's go to the other side as if Jesus didn't know, nor a, Jesus didn't know a storm was coming. He's like, hey, let's go out on the water. We need to be in a storm together. The most famous one is Jesus sleep on a pillow. I think this is such a great example of the kingdom of God. And they totally missed it. And he rebuked them for it. He said, where is your faith? Not faith to silence the sea. Jesus wasn't teaching a clinic on how to silence the sea. 
I mean, that, it, he, he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and then he said he didn't, he didn't start teaching them, like, what, what words to say so that the wind and the waves obey you. That, that, that was missing the whole point. Jesus was modeling something for them that they totally missed. Because their version of winning is there is no storms. It is smooth sailing with Jesus. So they got on the storm and it's not smooth sailing and Jesus is asleep. Jesus is is experiencing a victory in the midst of a storm and they are freaking out. Jesus wanted them to curl up with him or stand on the bow and go, yeah, what's up? Come on, bring it. Because with Jesus in our boat, there is victory in the midst of the storm. It doesn't, Jesus in your boat doesn't mean no waves. Jesus in your boat means that nothing this world can bring can shake what I have on the inside because Jesus is in my boat. But see, they just totally missed that whole thing. Peter walking on the, on the water. It wasn't a clinic on how to walk on the water. It wasn't the point at all. It was Peter and the rest of the disciples. You see, we're in a storm, aren't we? I have not come to eliminate storms. Storms happen. I have come to help you see that with me, you can walk on top of the storm. You can walk through the storm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I mean, the the disciples knew this story backward and forward. Like, they got thrown into the fire. You know the story? Nebuchadnezzar threw them in. Like, they actually went in the fire. And then it says that a, 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 a being that looked like the son of man, Jesus, it just joined them. And they didn't get burned. But they were there. They were in it with Jesus. So there was, a, there was a narrative that was going on. And up to this point, all the disciples knew to see is with Jesus, we win. And Jesus is like, you're going to face some really hard things. And so I'm going to spend the next few moments with you, helping you understand that I have designed and helped you to be the kind of people that can walk through the storm and be victorious. So we talked about Mary, and I know I keep bringing up Mary, but, but in this context, Mary set the stage for this whole thing. So Mary takes this costly ointment that's worth a whole year's wage, and she pours it on Jesus. And, and in, a, um, in a different um, gospel, the, um, the disciples called it a waste. It's a waste. That all the disciples could see is like... <gasps> It's being dumped out and wasted. Can you imagine if you knew Mary personally and you were in that room and you realized what that meant for her, what that meant for her future? You were saving that for your husband. Like this could have paid for your wedding or for the first year of your future. And you're just dumping it out. You can't get it back. This is a tragedy. It's a waste. It's all lost. And what Jesus was pointing to is with me, nothing's wasted. What others call a loss is not a loss because I am working. According to Crystal this morning, he never stops working. He never stops working. So Jesus says, remember Mary? 
Remember what everyone else said, this is a disaster. There's no coming back from this. And Jesus said, wait, wait, wait. Don't let your heart be troubled because what other people call a waste, I call beautiful because I'm working, because I'm doing something. Don't stop where you are because I'm not finished. I'm working. Let not your heart be troubled when you face what the world calls a hopeless situation. There's a different way. So I'm going to land the plane on three ideas that Jesus unpacks in John chapter 14. And he starts by saying in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And he goes on to say, not as the world gives. This shalom peace is a wholeness. It's a completeness. It's not just the absence of worry. It is truly like a full shalom wholeness for your entire being. My peace is victory through adversity. It's victory that stands in the midst of the storm and walks on the water. So I'm going to give you three ideas that Jesus gave. And again, this is understanding that Jesus is going away and he is leaving something for his disciples and for you and I, I, something to model our lives after, our families after, that we can be the kind of people that walk in victory in the midst. In the midst. The first one is this. I go to the Father on your behalf. Jesus said this. I go to the Father. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, he will do. Why? I go to the Father. So why can you have victory? Why can you have certainty? Why can you have peace? Why can you have confidence in the midst of what is going on? Well, the first idea is because I go to the Father. I love this picture because oftentimes we think, okay, Jesus went and he went to prepare a place for us and he's like built some mansions, however long it takes Jesus to build mansions. And then he's hanging out there and he's just kind of looking. But the Bible is very clear about what Jesus is doing in heaven. He is standing, he's seated at the right hand of Father, seated representing the work is done, it is finished, seated at the right hand of the Father and he is making intercession for us. He is going to work on our behalf constantly. He is in our corner. And because of that, nothing is wasted. It's not over. It's not over. Um, Romans chapter 12 says uh, that, that we should have endurance for the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher. He began it. He's going to finish. He who begun a good work will finish it. Jesus is in heaven and he is working on our behalf and whatever it is that we find ourselves in the middle of, it's not over. It's not over. It may not end like you think it will because Jesus may come to you and say, let not your heart be troubled because you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. But you can walk on the water. You can sleep in the storm. The wind may be swirling around you, but I'm with you. I'm working. Even when you don't see it, I'm working. Even when you don't feel it, I'm working. I love my, my pastor uh, in Washington always say, 
God is doing more in your life, in your circumstances at any given moment than you can see. How would that change when we face something and we get to close our eyes and then we just by faith imagine that God is in heaven and he is working this out for our good and he's doing more than we could possibly imagine right now. Not like, not like Santa Claus, some like a mystical thing where maybe on Christmas we'll get some gifts. He is literally, as we speak, working on our behalf, but he's not working to create this fairy tale, mystical land where we just run about, you know, frolicking with lollipops and it's all good. He's working to build us to kinds of people that can walk in the midst of the storm and have victory. It's not over. The second thing is this, that he said, I am with you. I'm sitting at the right hand the Father, and I'm also with you. John chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That word home is the same word mansion that Jesus has used at the very beginning of this chapter, where he says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my house, in my home, are many mansions. And if, and if it were not so, I would not have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you might be there also. And what's really cool about this is that we understand that, that we are the bride of Christ and that he is our husband. Well, in Jewish culture, a wedding was very unique. And so a, a husband and wife, they would get married and then the husband would go away for a year and he would prepare a place for his bride. And so Jesus was modeling this. He said, listen, I've done something. I've made us one, and now I go away. I'm coming back. But though I'm gone, my father and I, we're gonna make our home inside of you. So it's not just a destination that you can hope for one day. I'm literally going to be with you. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is so powerful because this, this speaks directly to our emotions, our emotions, not our belief that he's working for us and that it's going to be okay. But today, here and now, the wind and the waves is still scary. The world we live in, I mean, oh my gosh, you just turn the TV on. And if you're not like the most secure person on the planet, you could very easily get swept away with all kinds of swirling emotions. And I just, I, I, I literally, I want to ask all of us, either the gospel is true, it's real, and it is enough for me to be not only have a destination one day, but for me today to say, you know what, I can have peace in the storm. I don't have to get swept away by whatever idea comes by or whatever the government's doing. Like I have the resolve in my heart to walk in a sense of peace of wholeness, of well-being, because Jesus gave it to me. It's a promise. My peace I leave with you. Yeah. I give it to you. Amen. Jesus gave you something. He gave me something. So either we're going to grab a hold of the gift that he gave because he's with me. He's with me. He's with you. 
It's one thing to be in the storm and Jesus saying, hey, go out into the storm. In the middle of that storm, you're going to be fine. And so just go ahead and grab a pillow. It's another thing for Jesus to say, I grabbed the first pillow and I'm sleeping. Come on. It's the best sleep ever. Because man, that, that boat's just going to rock you to sleep. You can be at rest. And we don't ignore the storm. We don't say that it doesn't exist. We say God is greater than the storm. And so I can walk in peace today. I don't seek after a peace for the future. God, if you just remove the storm, maybe one day I will strive for peace. And so God, I need you to do that. That's what the disciples, this is their mentality. God, if you just obliterate all of my enemies, I can walk in a sense of confidence and peace. And Jesus says, it's not going to be like that. I didn't come to be Caesar or king. I didn't come to be a part of the government. I came to overthrow the rulers and principalities in your heart that keep you from soaring above it all. And now I leave you with the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in confidence and boldness in the midst of the world that you live in. You can thrive here. And lastly, he says this, my spirit is in you. My spirit is in you. I go prepare, prepare, prepare a place for you. And, and not only that, I'm working. I'm working it out. I'm doing things. You have no idea the kinds of things I'm doing on your behalf. So it's not over. Don't stop. And then he says, I'm with you. In every moment, I'm with you. I'm holding your hand. I'm inside of you. I've given you that power. And lastly, he says, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is abiding inside of you. He says, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you. That's important. Guys, I'm here. Touch me, feel me, I'm here. But I won't always be. But I'm sending the helper. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name and he will teach you all things. And obviously we know there's a lot more to be said about the Holy Spirit, but we know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. So we can't live one more day powerless. We can't live one more day as a victim. We're not victimized by the government. We're not victimized by our job or by our neighbor. We are not the victim we walk in power and confidence and boldness because he who is inside of us is greater than he that is in the world. In this life, we're going to have trouble. Jesus said, it's a guarantee. We're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome it. I have put the same power that was in me, that abided in me and allowed me to do what I did. That same power is inside of you. And I just want to leave you with this picture. I want to leave you with this picture. Man, we're going over. This is good preaching. Okay. Um, I want to leave you this picture, and I didn't make a slide for it, but I want you to just picture three bubbles. The first bubble says spirit. The next one says soul. And the next one says body. Spirit, soul, and body. That's what we're made up of. Tracking? Spirit, soul, and body. We're in a fight every day. Tomorrow, when you wake up, which one's going to lead? 
The Bible says a lot about walking the Spirit. And I'll tell you what, I don't have very many ritualistic prayers that I go to a lot, but this is one of them. Holy Spirit, lead me today. Holy Spirit, I submit to you today. Mind, you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. Will, you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. Feelings, emotions, you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit. Because if not, they're going to listen to my flesh. Or they're going to listen to CNN. Or they're going to listen to Fox News. Or they're going to listen to the social media. And I'm going to get all worked up. And I'm going to lose it. I mean, yesterday I was, I was on social media. I don't do social media. And I just, I just don't do it. I probably should because I could, you know, maybe do, you know, be an influence. But I just don't do it. I'm just done with social media. And I was on there just because I get on there maybe once a week just to make sure if somebody pinged me or something, I don't want to be rude. So I get on there. And in five minutes, I read a post that was derogatory towards me without mentioning my name. Five minutes. And it, and it threw me in this tailspin. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? That somebody could passively make a comment on this stupid vehicle and all of a sudden I've lost it and I had to recenter myself Holy Spirit you're in control they don't get that power over me Holy Spirit my mind is submitted to you so I want to have thoughts that reflect the kingdom of God soul my emotions your your, your soul is your, your 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 will mind and emotions emotions you don't get to just do whatever you want to do. They're submitted to the Spirit of God. And my will, my desires, when I wake up in the morning, I want to have desires that are reflective of the kingdom of God. That is how you walk on the water. And I have the Spirit in me, and you have the Spirit in you, and you have all the power you need tomorrow morning to walk up, to wake up and walk on the water because tomorrow it'll be, there'll be a storm and the next day will be a storm and next day after that will be a storm. The, qu- the question really is are you stuck paralyzed by fear? Are you grabbing a pillow going, man, it's time for a nap. It's time to rest in the peace of God. Or sometimes it's time to say, you know what, I'm going to strap up and we can walk on the water. Either way, what I'm not doing is staying in the boat, staring at the waves, worrying about everything that possibly could go wrong. And with that, we're going to pray. <laughs> Father God, I just thank you that, that you were leading the disciples in these few moments in this upper room. You were preparing them for greatness. And you knew what they didn't know. That in the next few moments, their lives would be turned upside down that they would face their greatest failures and they would be left seemingly alone. And so you spoke to them about how to walk on the water. And I hear you speaking to us that you have given us what we need to leave the four walls of this building and walk with a sense of boldness and confidence and certainty 
about what you're doing in our lives, in our family, in our world. And God, we say yes to that. And Lord, in the midst of that, would you help us to bring as many people along with us as we can? You've given us relationships and connections at work and at home and in our neighborhood with people who are swirling. And God, would you use us to be a catalyst to bring those along and say, man, there's a better way. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Yeah.